Aaron and I want to start with a really big, heartfelt first bite thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half, and we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we I mean, we work full time and this is this is a full time gig on top of it. And we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it. So we sweet talked the folks with speechtherapypd.com. And as a thank you giveaway, we have come up with a, a, a free pod course subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever so handsome goose and a bear. And that person will get a free PodCore subscription. So over 175 hours of continuing ed plus 19 new continuing hours each month. And there's a new episode every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other Thursday, and the short course, nine series long, all things ethics with Elise. And that's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go, but once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And Seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Hey, so by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hey there, listener. This is Dr. Dakota Sharp, audiologist, clinical assistant professor, and lifelong learner, inviting you to join me on an exciting new podcasting journey known as On the Ear. As you know, audiology is ever-evolving, so it's critical as professionals that we learn and grow as well. Every other Thursday, On the Ear will be interviewing a variety of clinicians and researchers spanning a wide range of hearing and communication topics. From pediatrics to geriatrics, cochlear implants to vestibular, speech to hearing, and everything in between, this podcast will provide exciting insights that you can use in your clinical practice. Each episode of On the Ear is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs when you complete the accompanying pod course through speechtherapypd.com. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. 
I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields, or as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy, joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Today's episode is one that's near and dear to my heart because of the backstory. Y'all know I love a good story, so here it is. Once upon a time, about a year and a half ago, an SLP reached out to me with a few questions. She had a fighting spirit, a gentle heart, and a mama worry at least a mile wide. I loved her sweet southern soul instantly, and we became nerdy friends. I basically made her adopt me in her friend group because she's wonderful. Um, this amazing SLP mama came from the world of acute, subacute adults and was working with her own little one's pediatric feeding disorder journey, a journey for him that had a lot of twists and turns. And I am humbled that I have been a tiny part of that joyful journey. Along the path towards healing, they found a few diagnoses that changed their stars and gave them guidance for the next steps to take. One of those steps was to the Fox G1 Research Foundation. Now, here's the most beautiful part of the story. This foundation that she told me about, a foundation that has become near to her heart and their son's journey, this foundation was created by two other mamas, Nasha Fitter, CEO, Head of Research, and Nicole Johnson, President and Head of Communications, while they were both on their respective journeys of healing for their children. The awesomeness of this cannot be understated or underestimated. These women, these mamas overcame grief and sorrow of a diagnosis to work for their children and thousands of others to find a solution and give hope and light in the world. Now that's a story that should be shared again and again and again 
And I am grateful for my mama friend for allowing me to be a part of hers and for introducing me to Nasha and Nicole. So ladies, thank you so much for coming on today. Hi. 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 Thank you for that introduction, Michelle. I'm already crying. <laughs> uh, I do that to people. I make people cry and laugh. And um, if you know me long enough, you'll um, learn that I love the F-bomb in Jesus. And so, like, you know, we balance it all out, right? It's all about the balance. <laughs> I do love Jesus a little bit more than the F-bomb, but man, there are them days. <laughs> okay. So um, who is who? If um, Nasha, could you go first? Yes, absolutely. So I am Nasha, and I, uh, my daughter Amara is four years old now. She was diagnosed with Fox G1 syndrome when she was nine months old after she started having seizures, um, which was, you know, a pretty horrific thing to go through, especially watching like your little baby um, have these seizures and there's not much you can do. And I was very lucky at that time to have met Nicole whose daughter is older and had been in the game a little bit longer um, and had really had a quite difficult diagnosis, um, just an odyssey of even getting the Fox G1 diagnoses. So I was lucky that I had someone who'd already been through it and was so positive a spirit that I could look up to and partner with and really build this foundation around um, fighting for a cure for our children. Awesome. Okay. And, and Nicole? Hi. Tell us about you. Hi. Sure, thank you. Yes, I'm Nicole Zeitzer Johnson. Um, I like to say my maiden name if anyone recognizes from my former life. Yes. <laughs> um, like Nasha said, my daughter is a little older than her daughter. My daughter Josie will be nine in November, which I can hardly believe. It's been nine years already. And um so she was diagnosed in 2014, and it took us two years to find her diagnosis, which is not so much the case for many of the new parents, um, because Fox one is now on panels like the epilepsy panel or the microcephaly panel, which we could get more into, but parents are finding out their diagnosis pretty quickly. For me, it was different. It was two years of why is my daughter not developing? You know, at six right. months, she couldn't sit up. She wasn't rolling over. I remember she failed her six-month pediatric milestone test with flying colors. And, um, but then seven months, eight months, nine months, and she still wasn't doing these things. And she's, um, like I said, going to be nine next month, and she's still not doing these things. So, you know, my greatest fears did come true. She did have a real disorder that prevented her from developing. Um, so Josie is at the severe end of Fox G1 syndrome, which we could get more into of the, um, the spectrum of the syndrome. Um, but so I'm Josie's mom and I am so grateful for my partner, Nasha, on this journey um, because we, we got on the phone in, when was it? 2016 or and yep. just became immediate soul sisters and just knew in that first conversation that this was going to be our journey together and that we could change this prognosis. And, um, you know, if we put our um, career um, experience and our passion as parents to this, um, we can make a difference for countless people. Okay, so take me... 
before we get into the Fox component, take me there because when I'm looking at, okay, when I'm looking at foundations, I typically don't think of like research or moms with like actual science and those kind of academic backgrounds creating a foundation. So how did you guys meet and and do this? Also, math is hard for me. Like, and I know that's like a stereotypical female thing, but like, honest to God, it's really hard. I can fix a swallow. I can't do statistics. That right. just was like not, and my mom was a math major and my stepmom's an engineer. So like, I don't know what happened to me. My sister's got that genes, but like, how did this happen? How did y'all meet? You want to start, Nasha? Um, so I met Nicole. Um, she was on a board of another Fox UN foundation that I met her on and joined. Um, and, you know, what you said is correct. Most foundations really help, are, are really focused much more on patient advocacy, right? Yeah. Helping patients with the day-to-day, et cetera. And what Nicole and I realized is with our condition, because where science is right now, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like when you think about gene therapy, it's no longer science fiction. Like we are able to go in and alter our own genetic code and solve for disease. And that is happening. We have clinical trials ongoing right now. We see, it's amazing. We see antisense therapies that go and target the RNA in our bodies and our children who were dying have stopped dying. Children who were not able to walk are able to walk. And so we see these things happening. So science is really changing quickly. And Nicole and I realized for our disease, our small little disease, to take advantage of this phenomenon in science, we had to focus on research. So we really banded with a group of other like-minded parents around the world and started the Fox Juan Research Foundation. And our immediate you know, goal was how do we advance science and how do we put the best scientific strategy together? How do we build the most refined and, you know, well-known scientific advisory board with the smartest people, because we don't know anything, right? So we need to learn from others. And we just became kind of experts in the science. I mean, we learned about biology. We had to go deep in order to to even guide our scientists, to even know who was saying what. Um, and, and we just had to do it. And I think it's any parent who gets tossed in this situation, you just embrace it and you, and you learn it. Um, and so that's really how we got going. Um, and, and now our foundation actually does both, right? We do both the, the science and we do a ton of patient advocacy. And, you know, we have a patient registry, we're starting a natural history to understand the, you know, the disease and what our patients are going through on a day-to-day basis. So we've really evolved and we're kind of doing, um, we're doing a lot of stuff basically. <laughs> that is amazing. Like, oh my gosh, just Wow, I am so honored to have y'all on. Like, thank you. Yay. Okay. You said something like, you know, we're not scientists. How do we, how do we go about starting a research foundation? And um, one thing about Nasha and I both is that, and I, I knew this the moment we spoke, that we are both resourceful enough to figure out what it is that needs to be done and do it. So, and I almost, in my life, I've said like, pick a card, any card. Okay. That's who I am today. Um, it's a hat. I say yeah. that about hats. Pick a hat. Advocate, piss off yeah. mommy. I got this. Exactly. And so um, one thing we did have in common is that we were both um, technology entrepreneurs before this. Um, so in my former life, I was a TV producer 
Um, I worked for CNN for 10 years, which really taught me how to go right to the source. So um, news was a little different back then. <laughs> um, it, was, <laughs> it was very fair and balanced back then. Um, but really, it's how do you understand something and be able to tell it in 20 seconds, something very complex. So I learned to be very resourceful. And then, and I think of everything that we've done in our life, and um, Nasha has said this too, leads us up to what we're going to do. So every job you ever have, whether it was as a waitress or whatnot, it's teaching you skills you're going to need for the big thing, right? And so um, after CNN years later, my husband and I started a music technology company um, and we were entrepreneurs, um, which we then sold. And um, Nasha, um, in her previous career, started a education technology company. So we both have this entrepreneurship in us. So we were able to start this foundation thinking like entrepreneurs and running it like a business. You know, what is the most strategic path? Who are the smartest people? Who are the world's leading scientists? So that we do this in the most um, deft way because we, we are also working against the clock. You know, Josie's gonna be nine next month. So we want to see the fruits of our labor in our children's lifetime. So um, we really, um, having that entrepreneurial experience has really um, helped pave the way for where we are today. I love that. I, I, um, I humbly think that the triumphs and failures of our past, that's where our, we learn best, right? Yeah. That, the yeah do you know the gold pottery i'm gonna butcher it the king's cow pottery from japan yeah and when um, the pottery it yes it breaks and they would mend it and mold it back together with love and infuse the cracks with gold and i always think that our faults our failures our trials or tribulations that allows us to shine out and just as much the joy like all of those experiences yes oh my gosh this is powerful mm -hmm. uh, one day i want to get one of those pieces of pottery but they're like stupid expensive so etsy yeah. version it is <laughs> but like you said everything is a lesson and everything is an opportunity to learn and yeah. um and we do really share that mindset which so every hurdle makes us stronger um yeah. so where yeah, and I think I think the other thing with both Nicole and I is we both share that our life is meant for impact and is greater than ourselves. And, you know, not to get too like wishy-washy, but we're both very spiritual people and we mm -hmm. we take all of you know, we don't look at our children like this is a problem, right? We look at mm -hmm. it as this is an experience and God's given us this experience and we're going to make the most of it. And we're going to use it to create change in the world that we live in for the amount of years we're on this planet. And yeah. I think, you know, that really helps us when we, one, have issues come at us and hurdles, which happen every single day, like really approach it in a much bigger, calmer way. And two, it just has given us so much purpose, you know, like we're, our, our lives mean so much now. I mean, we're trying to help these children. We're going to affect not only our own children, but so many more. And that, I don't know if there's a greater 
greater feeling of happiness. I mean, it's such a it's it's such an amazing thing to be a part of. I and mean, we're grateful that we can be a part of this world and meet the people we're meeting and, and hopefully create the change we want to create. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I, I need to find out what I need y'all to explain what Fox G1 is. But if somebody is not driving, people don't do this driving. But say they're sitting on like a reclined exercise bike and wish to read along on the website. Um, what is the what is your website address that they can look at while we're talking? Oh, thank you. Yeah, so we are foxg1research.org. Um, so thank you in advance for going to our website. There's a video on the homepage. You could see Nasha and I and Amara and Josie. Um, and really, I do want to say we, you know, um, we started this foundation with a team of Fox G1 parents and um, it is, and it has grown. So as more parents are getting their diagnosis, they are joining our team and it is just such a fantastic family of Fox G1 parents who run this foundation, not just us. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to say that to give yeah. credit. And even like um, the mom who introduced you to us, she has been such an amazing Fox G1 mom um, in our <laughs> world who does so much. And she is just truly, like you said, so such a beautiful spirit. Every conversation we have, I feel better after speaking to her. Yes. Yeah. And she always has me in stitches. I'm like, woman, you have to like, we have to giggle when I don't have a full bladder because post children, y'all, that's, that's a fitty, fitty shot. How that's going to go. <laughs> people like that who, I mean, yes, this journey is tough. Yes. Our, our, we didn't get, you know, that, that poem about you got Switzerland, um, you know, yes. so we Holland do, versus yes. When you Holland. land in Holland, yes. landed in Holland, this isn't what we expected and it's hard. And, you know, I, Josie has seizures, you know, Josie's fed with a feeding tube and, and we will get to your question. What is Fox G1 syndrome? Yeah. Um, but it's like, if it, if it's the people like your mama friend and Nasha and our team that, you know, we can really enjoy life while we mm -hmm. have Herculean challenge, parenting challenge. Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's, let's talk about what is Fox G1 syndrome, because I believe that's what you were asking. Yes, no, but this is, but that's part of it and, and giving us the, mm -hmm. everybody so, wants the heart of the story. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Okay. All right. But yes, please tell us what is Fox G1 syndrome. Sure. Um, Nasha, you want to take it away? Yeah. So Fox G1 syndrome is when you have a mutation, so a mistake, so to speak, in your Fox G1 gene. Um, the Fox G1 gene is a gene that we all have. So you have a Fox G1 gene. Everyone has a Fox G1 gene. It's actually one of the most important genes in neurodevelopmental um, just progress. So the previous name for it was actually brain factor one. And, and that could give you an idea of just how important it was in that critical building block for your brain development. So in our children, the Fox G1 gene, which is also a very teeny tiny gene. It's like a really, it's a single exon, which basically just means it's very small. And they have, you know, different types of mutations. So they could have like a part of their gene missing. They could have um, the wrong letter. So one of the letters is an A instead of a G. Um, it's, wait, C-A-C-G-T? What, mm -hmm. what are the... 
Am I getting the letters right? Yeah, that's right. And so you have these four letters. And so in a missense mutation, like what my daughter has, for example, her G is an A. And you just think about like for her, okay, so she has this teeny, in this teeny tiny gene, she has this one misspelling and look at the impact, right? She's four years old. She can't speak. She probably cognitively is at about an eight month old level. Um, unlike some of the um, children at the severe end, she is able to walk, but she is so incredibly delayed. And this is just from a small misspelling in this one teeny tiny gene. And, and, and that's really the power of biology and also how critical the FOXG1 gene is. So when you have this mutation in the gene, you have what we call FOXG1 syndrome. And that's characterized in, in some ways, very similarly to so many other neurodevelopmental syndromes. So it's, you know, lack of speech, it's lack of fine motor skills and gross motor skills. So on the severe end, children cannot walk, they're in wheelchairs. It's a lack of being able to eat your food, right? Because all of that is controlled by your brain and your neurological system. So yeah. something I found fascinating was, as I now look at my other children, you know, just the simple act of picking up a cup and bringing it to your face. I mean, there are so many processes in your brain that have to work for that to actually occur. It's, it's kind of amazing um, to, to learn this. And so with our children, those are the processes that are not working um, because of this single mutation. And it results in all of these kinds of problems. And then medically, you have issues like seizures. Um, we have a lot of movement disorder issues. So kind of similar to what you would see in like Parkinson's. That. Oh, okay. So is it like an ataxic CP or like a mixed CP? Yeah, no, a, a lot of our kids have ataxia. Um, yeah. A lot of our kids have um, kind of like the Parkinson's diptonia, you know, where your head yeah. kind of cracks in one position or your arms crack in one position or their arm, arms are very spastic. So we have a lot of different movement disorder um, issues as well. It's actually one of the biggest characteristics of fox syndrome. Um, and we also have CVI, which is cortical visual impairment. Um, yeah. And so again, your eyes are, as you know, you know, your eyes are connected to your, um, your neurological system and your brain. So all of these effects um, happen. We have low tone. So most of our kids, their bodies, just the tone in their bodies is very weak. And that also makes it really hard for them to walk, et cetera. Can I, inter can I interject really quick? Please. Okay. All right. So for those of y'all that are listening, I want you to think about the little ones on your caseload, okay? Because the re one of the reasons why I wanted them on was that we have to raise awareness of this syndrome, but we have to be able to recognize the signs and symptoms on our own caseload so that we can then turn around and request the referrals specific, okay? So remember, when your kiddos are coming home from the NICU and they're coming home from the hospital, often the um your predecessor the clinician that had the little one before you they may have voiced the concerns but not have been able to follow up with those concerns in the NICU or just like Nasha and Nicole said they didn't really start picking up on these signs and symptoms until they were closer to six months of age right mm -hmm. so think about the um developmental milestones between three and six mm -hmm. how in the realm of early intervention OT PT speech gets brought in and remember, for the cortical vision impairment, the first three colors are red, white, and black. So if the child's not reacting to objects being brought in, if they're having a hard time reaching for, securing, finding the breast or a bottle, those are turning towards the source of it. 
when they're going for something, if you see the rigidity and the spasticity and the movement, also when you're thinking about tone, that correlates to bowel movements and delayed gastric emptying. So if you have a little one that has a feeding tube with lots of residuals, with an unknown etiology, all of these are pieces and red flags that should encourage you to seek the wisdom of a geneticist, of a neurologist, of a um, good peds GI. Okay, sorry, continue. I just had to do the connection to the clinical piece because it was perfect. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah. No, uh, thank you so much. And I, I, one of the things I forgot to mention is sleep disorders. I would say uh, all of our children have terrible sleep. And um, yeah, and it's so- Is it neurologic apnea? Nicole, how does it describe it? Um, I mean, it's it's hard to know exactly. Um, the sleep disorders, I believe, are neurological, and it's um, you know, I, I I don't know exactly what the term is for it, but I would say that almost every single Fox to one parent can attest to sleep disorders, and we're constantly having conversations about what's working for you. I mean, Josie, for mm-hmm. one, is um, she takes CBD oil too for seizure control, which also helps with sleep. She's on mm-hmm. um, melatonin, and we started her on doxepin. Um, and there are nights where she will sleep through the night now, um, but it's very common that from 2 a.m. to around 4 a.m., Josie is just yelling and playfully enjoy yelling and just wide awake. <laughs> um, ah, this is what my daddy calls the witching hour. That's when yeah. the angels come to play. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're playing with Josie. <laughs> yes, yes. Bear and Goose would wake up then, and I would say, all right, all you great-grandparents that went on, this is not the time. You got to move on, y'all. I got to sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so also- yes. So sorry, Nicole, go ahead. Yeah, and so Nasha was talking about her daughter has a missense mutation, and many of the missense Foxy One children are on the um, one end of the spectrum that is higher functioning um, and very similar to autism. So it would be like a more severe case of autism is how they present. Mm-hmm. Josie has something called a nonsense mutation. Um, and how Nasha described how um, in the a genetic code sequence where the um, A should be a G and it's, it's flipped, with a nonsense mutation, um, basically it um, reads the wrong amino acid and creates something called a stop codon. Um, so as the genetic sentence is being written, that has to be written fully in order for it to go on and create the protein to then tell the brain what to do and continue with brain development. As that sentence was being written and it read a wrong piece of it, it put a premature period. So the sentence never went on to be written. So um, so those with a nonsense mutation um, are lacking more of the FOXG1 protein for brain development. Um, So Josie is on the severe end of the spectrum. And um, so she, as I said earlier, she's about um, developmentally about six months. Um, I know mentally she's smart (laughs) and I I know she understands me. I can't truly explain how, I just know. And, um, but she cannot take care of her basic needs, like, you know, um, use her hands with purpose. She tries. Um, she, you know, she's tube fed, um, swallowing and feeding was too difficult. We tried it for a very long time. And 
Once we got her G-tube, we did continue to do one meal a day by food because I wanted to try to continue working on the skills. But when she lost her front teeth, she was just at such risk of aspiration. Um, mm -hmm. So we had to stop. I mean, the G-tube did make our lives much easier, especially with her medicine, because I knew she was getting it at least. Mm -hmm. um, but so she is... Um, She's fully um, tube fed now. She's in a wheelchair, which she cannot control on her own. Um, and she can't sit up without falling over. Um, but she is so happy. <laughs> she is yes. so cute, <laughs> if I should say so. <laughs> she, she's just really funny. She could just, you know, I know the things that will make her laugh. And she, like her teacher, when she was going into her classroom pre-COVID, um, yeah. Josie just brings all the joy to this classroom. She just makes everybody laugh. Um, and, and to me, she's perfect. I'm just so grateful to be her mom. Um, you know, and some people say, so Josie's so happy. You know, why are you working so hard to change her? <laughs> And, you know, it's a Josie deserves more. They all, our Foxy One children deserve more. Yes. She deserves to sit up. She deserves to eat pizza. Um, yes. You know, and, I, and, and when we do get to that place where we find this therapy that will cure our children, you know, I, I know her laughter and joy will still be there. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, on the laughter and joy uh, for your uh, viewers, if any of them are on Facebook um, and Instagram, they can follow us at Fox G1 Research because we're uh, Fox G1 Awareness Month is about to start and we're doing, a, a, it's basically going to be a laughter, a day of laughter. Every day we're going to show another Fox G1 child laughing. And yes, yeah. I love that. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Yeah, we just thought that would bring some joy to, you know, um, the current situation of news. So we thought that oh would God. be, especially in November, right? It's just, this will be very needed. This right. is perfectly timed. I am following. Thank you for doing this <laughs> in advance. Um, yeah. Also, wait, before I forget, folks, just so you know, um, because I know that this is like only nine days away, but the Fox G1 Parents Connect live research update is on October 29th. So yeah. Make sure that you, I mean, it's nine days from today, so it's, it's within... Your brain can hold that thought and then transfer it to a calendar later. Yes, that's right. Putting that out there. And yes. that's important because we do have a ton of announcements that have happened this month. We're actually in a really exciting phase where, you know, the last couple of years, we've just spent so much time developing our animal models and developing our stem cell bank. And, you know, they have to be converted to these um, induced pluripotent stem cells and then organoids. And it's all of this work just building your assets. And it's I hard literally don't, I'm sorry, I don't know any of the words you just used, but they sound amazing and I'm so happy about it. <laughs> it's really interesting. I know my husband always says that to me. He's like, no one understands what you say. Um, it's, he loves it, when you say organoids. <laughs> or organoids, I know, that's his favorite word now. Um, it's really phenomenal. Basically what they do is they take a little bit of um, skin, right, from our kids. They'll take it from like under the, like their arm, under the arm, just a little, little piece of skin. And then what okay. they do is they take the skin, which it's a skin cell, they take it down to its original stem. So that's what's called a stem cell. And once you go down to the original stem, like you can imagine a plant, then you can grow any type of flower. So instead of a skin cell, you can grow a brain cell, a lung cell, a kidney cell. 
this I understand from botany. Okay. There you go. Yes. I garden. (laughs) I'm totally with you. Transfer it to plants and you had me sold. Yes. Yes. I'm glad I picked that analogy. Um, So you have like in a little Petri dish, you've got little brain organoids that have come from skin cells. And now like we can't cut up our children's brains, but we can cut up the brain organoid. And so these are little cells that we can now test different drugs on. We can literally go into them and understand like, what are the other genes that are being affected by FOXG1 and how are the circuits working together and what's the impact on the brain and all of the stuff we can do now. It's really a relatively new science and because of it, so many therapies have exploded. So, but to create that asset takes time. And so all of our poor parents have like, you know, we did a huge fundraising uh, drive in 2017. We funded creating all of these assets and then everyone's just been waiting, right? Like, okay, yeah. now what, now what? And, um, and it's hard to be patient, but finally now we're at the point that we, these assets are ready and we can start testing drugs on them, right? Like small molecules. We can even sure. start testing like herbs, like Chinese medicine, vitamins. Um, we could start testing antisense therapies, gene therapies, but we've been waiting for all of this to occur. And so that's what the research update will be about. And, um, and we're so excited to be kind of starting off 2021 with these huge projects that we're going to be doing. Right. Um, 2021 needs to be gentler. So I, oh, I love this no. explosion. Yes. Oh my gosh. I am so I don't I'm thank you for doing the org organoid. This is <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, even to um explain that um in another way, basically there is a replica of, of Josie's brain from the skin sample we took from her leg. There is now a 3D miniature Josie brain in a dish that we can use to test a gene therapy on before having to test that gene therapy in Josie. So we could see what happens to Josie's brain in a a dish with these, like Nasha said, these potential drugs, these gene therapies, ASO therapy. So it's really groundbreaking science. It's being led at UCSD by Dr. Allison Motri, who is just a rock star scientist that is actually been working with NASA, sending um, miniature- Literally a rock star scientist. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Um, So we are just so grateful for this, for really this consortium of scientists that we have put together and we're funding and we're raising money to fund, um, who are actually all working together on these different methods. um, Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, how many, what's the prevalence of Fox G1 or what, what are the numbers trending like, or mm-hmm. how do we know when we need to, when we see little ones that have the signs and symptoms that you mentioned earlier, because I feel like what you described impacts most of the patients that I see oh, and oh. the the research that you're doing, I feel like we're not talking thousands. We're talking like millions of children across the globe. So like, yeah, this is true. This is true. I mean, FOXG1, it's been um, cited now in research that the prevalence is one in 30,000. Okay. So, which is still rare, but it's not as rare as we think. Um, You know, and, and what you said is interesting. So when when any child is having any of these symptoms, they have to be genetically tested, right? I was lucky Amara got um, the epilepsy panel because she started having epilepsy. And we always say, thank God she had seizures. Sorry, go ahead. 
No, what is that? When you say epilepsy panel, explain mm-hmm. that. What What is the epilepsy panel? What do you mean by this? So what happens is if your child starts having seizures, most hospitals will then take your child's blood sample and send it to a lab to test for certain genes that could be mutated. And so there's a certain number of genes that are on specific panels. So an epilepsy panel are a known number of genes that they know could cause epilepsy. And, you know, you'll have the microcephaly panel, which is when your brain is smaller. And so that's another panel. So there's a few panels, but the truth is we, we still don't, all of these genes are not on all panels. So if a child has taken a few of these panels and they don't have a diagnosis, you know, we really recommend getting full exome sequencing and most insurance companies, if you push them, will fulfill that. And otherwise, there are companies now that do it at a quite cheaper. I mean, the cost of that has really come down. So you could even look online to, to send it in. But you have to know what the child's diagnosis is because it really does impact the kind of therapies and treatments you're going to think about giving them. Um, you know, it's just a, it could be a completely different gene and it leads to different things. So it's very important if you, any of the therapists that are listening to this podcast, if you have children that you're working with and they don't know what their diagnosis is to really help their parents and to guide them to say, look, you have to go work with your neurologist to figure this out. It's so important. I mean, Josie was the 60th person known in the world with Fox syndrome when I got her diagnosis in 2014. So you can imagine how alone I felt. And I actually thought that I should definitely go out and play lotto that day. Because <laughs> yes. what are the odds? And so, um, and also um, FOXG1 is a non-inherited disorder. So it's a spontaneous mutation of the gene called de novo of new. Um, so that is even, you know, more odds. Um, so, yeah. but like Nasha said, there are likely so many more undiagnosed cases. This, like Nasha said, this is one of the first and most critical genes in brain development. Um, and now as with more whole exome sequencing testing out there, we are seeing new cases diagnosed weekly. Um, and that's just the ones that we're learning of. So um, the thought is that the, um, the chart of diagnosis is really going to shoot up in the next couple of years. And over the course of time, I mean, if we could sequence, say, the CP community, the cerebral palsy community, and other communities over time, if we do sequencing of all the patients, um, we would likely find thousands, if not hundreds and thousands, of FOXG1 mutations. Yes. we. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with a little one that has CAS-MICPIC syndrome. I might have that backwards, MICPIC-CASC. And they were like one of 217 when they got the diagnosis. And through, you know, over the course of the last three and a half years, I mean, their numbers have grown because, because of the advancements in testing and referrals. And one, one thing that I see, I live in the South and there are unique things to the South, um, fabulous things like sweet tea and mac and cheese being a vegetable, but um, um, which it is. I mean, for the record, let let me put that out there. Mac and cheese is a vegetable, and I would I would challenge the person who argues that. Um, Kids must love, love you. you. Kids must love you. <laughs> oh my God! I do. My job description is to help kids eat, and in doing so, I eat, which explains why, like you know, there's there's some additional stretch marks to be had. <laughs> but um, uh, 
I, with that, there are a lot of, um, we still deal with a lot of the isms, right? Sexism, racism, um, and, and there is still a patriarchal hold that you do not question a physician because mm-hmm. they know best, right? And that's very challenging because if a physician says, this is what it is, or you know you don't need that, or fear, fear will hold these families back and prevent them from seeking out a geneticist because, because we don't want our little ones to have labels. But you know, mm. folks, you have to encourage your families if we get a root cause analysis and we get down to the bare bones of what's going on, then you have the opportunity to develop a quality plan of care for life. Mm-hmm. And you have a trajectory and we have an answer. And now, now we can focus on finding peace and joy on the journey as opposed to figuring out which plane you're getting off on. Right. So just, this is so important. You, uh, yeah, I mean, it's there, you know, with any physician, it's really their opinion. And yeah. for these types of diseases, you have to seek multiple opinions um, yes. and you need to get to the root cause. And I can tell you even, you know, in my experiences, um, even with the best doctors, Amara was seen at a really well-known um, academic center. And when she started having dystonia, and was prescribed some pretty heavy antipsychotic drugs that have tons of oh. side effects. Um, and I just decided to try some herbs, okay? Um, and it worked. I mean, it took her dystonia away, has not come back. If I stopped the herbs, it would come back. So I, I find that A, fascinating, but B, it wouldn't have happened if I had just trusted the first doctor I talked to. You know, I, I did a yeah. ton of research online. I talked to other specialists and I think this is really important, no matter how good your doctor is, right? They're limited by their own knowledge. And I read somewhere that medical information takes like 15 years to trickle down. So if there's a breakthrough in research, it's going to take 15 years to trickle down to most, not all doctors, most doctors, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to, um, and I think the the real thing is you have to put the health of your child above any type of ism. Um, So And I think it's really important for parents to know that what they say when they meet with a doctor is actually the most valuable information. So if you have a doctor that's actually listening to the parent, then, you know, that's a, that's a sign of a good doctor. That's something I've really learned along the way. It's not just, you know, hardly listen to me and then rattle off everything that you've known from your experience. Um, That doesn't comfort me. And that actually has not helped. It's the doctors who hear hear the things that I say that lead them to, you know, probably what was the most helpful um, prognosis for us along the way. Um, so when I talk about to parents and for therapists, you know, about advocating for your patient or advocating for your child, it's, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and don't be afraid to, you know, if you feel something and you see something and you don't feel that the doctor is acknowledging that, you know, keep going. That's the most important thing because most of the time the parents do know best. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that's something that I, I, I yep. cannot emphasize enough. Yep. Um, okay. So when, when we're looking at this, both of y'all have talked about seizures and seizures being a, a key indicator. Is there a particular type of seizure because I mean that's there's so many different types is there a particular is there a a 
and Josie's are changing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, most of our kids have, have a, a series of different types. Okay. Are we looking at like infantile spasms and then mm-hmm. it evolving to like Lennox Gastel or it could, it, like, it could, okay. but not all kids have infantile spasms, right? They will just start developing other types of tonic clonic seizures, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't pinpointed a specific seizure linked to Fox G1 syndrome. Yeah, there's there's a variety of seizures that parents report on the patient registry. Um, I will say, you know, Josie had tonic-clonic um, seizures. She was having grand, grand mal seizures before they were um, under control by medication. And now I'm noticing her doing more absence seizures, mm-hmm. um, which is frightening because they're, they're so... Um, they're, they're hard to know, hey, that's a seizure. She's staring off oh, that could be a seizure. And how often do you use rescue meds? So we're constantly getting blood work and checking her levels. And, um, but for the most part, she, um, we really did see a lot of seizure relief with Josie um, for, through CBD oil. That was a huge breakthrough for us. Are you doing um, Epidelox or is, there, is it like a holistic variation that you're doing? Um, it's funny because Josie's neurologist, Dr. Davinsky at NYU, um, led the study for Epidiolex. Um, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. my God. That's amazing. And, you know what? <laughs> and that's how I found him, actually, because I learned of the study happening, and I wanted to, Josie to be in that study, but it was only for children with Dravet syndrome and Lennox Gastro. Yes. yes. Um, but I was able to start her on Charlotte's Web. Yes. Um, oh yep. my God. We have talked about this so many times. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. An amazing ah. company. And you know what? I never moved off Charlotte's web and I never moved to Epidiolex because it's been working. Okay. So when she was, you know, she was having horrific grand mal seizures when they first started in around 2014. And then at best, while they were under control and I'm doing air quotes right now, um, she was still having four seizures a week, but once we started CBD oil, we went a year seizure free. Um, so I couldn't believe it. I, I, I couldn't have even imagined a week without a seizure. And then we went a year. Um, and then she has breakthrough seizures here and there. And now some of these opsons things are starting. Um, but it's always, you're always tweaking. It's like a, it's like a, a recipe, you know, it's like the medicinal recipe. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. but that's the same with pharmaceutical approaches to seizure mm-hmm. management. You have weight gain, you have height gain, and then or weight loss because of maybe a change in medical baseline. And then, yes, you have to alter accordingly and adjust meds. So, exactly. yes, um, mm-hmm. folks, this is this is why you have to the the pharmacological approach to um, seizure management can cause some horrific. <clears throat> pediatric feeding disorder complications in their own right, such mm-hmm. as severe and profound xerostoma, um, uh, gingivitis, but um, it's like a hyper variation of it. I can't remember the name of it. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, and I mean, irritation, depressed respiration cycles, um, decreased appetite, and the truth be told, the CBD approach has less side effects. So please bear that in mind that when you have a child that has a seizure disorder, if we're in the process of finding out if it's Fox G1 or not, then one, we need to pursue genetic consultations, but also 
do your research on drugs and dysphagia and how they influence the safety for PO. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, I wish any parent whose child starts having seizures would actually start on CBD oil and some herbs before going on to more intense medications. And the thing is that doctors can't prescribe CBD oil, right? There's, they just can't do it. So they're never going to recommend it. So you have to kind of do that work on your own um, as, a, as a parent. And then also the amount of THC does make a difference. So with um, you know the ones that Nicole's talking about, there's no, there's very little THC, and so you're able to order it online. But if your child is having really severe seizures, like we see for Dravet syndrome, they actually do require more THC. So I know there's a company here called Jaden's Juice out in California, um, which was started by a dad whose child has Dravet syndrome, and it's a one to ten ratio of THC to CBD, and that for kids who have really out of control seizures has you know, has actually helped control them. So you have to, you have to do a lot of research and and look around. Um, But I personally would recommend that before starting a drug that's going to be very hard to get off of and has a ton of side effects. But I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying this as a a parent. Yes, 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 absolutely. But do you think that the medical community is moving? I mean, y'all, y'all know these, these researchers, do you think that we're moving in a way that in the next 10 to 15 years, we could see that being a more um, managed approach? Well, the thing is that there's no money in CBD, right? So Epidiolex has become a drug and so there's money in it. So the pharmaceutical yeah. industry is, it's um, like, it's a commercial entity, right? So it's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, you're what? Not gonna... It's a commercial entity? <laughs> what? It's a big I'm one. I'm so surprised. Oh. <laughs> so it's like herbs. Like what? Who's going to go fund a trial for, you know, 10,000 patients to take an herb and like check how they develop and check their sites of toxicity? Uh-huh. I mean, there's no money in it, right? So um, so you do see researchers, like I did here in South America, that there was a group of researchers that did a trial for CBD oil. And they had a group of um children with different neurodevelopmental disorders in different hospitals um, conduct a trial. And that was done in a very academic setting. So I think academically, we'll see more and more studies come out. But because there's no money behind it, it's, you know, you're not, I don't think we're going to see it as mainstream. But what gives me hope is that Epidiolex, we are seeing organizations try to expand the label. So right now it's prescribed for Dravet syndrome, but there's groups lobbying with the FDA to expand the label so it could be um, prescribed for more more neurodevelopmental syndrome. So that that is promising. I have wondered about the the expanding of the label and expanding of the ages because last I heard the Epidiolex was two and older mm-hmm. was was the the age range for it because I have a little one that has um, wolf Hirschhorns. And they were trying to get the um, uh, Epidiolox approved and insurance wouldn't approve it, wouldn't approve it, wouldn't approve it until the kiddo turned two. Mm-hmm. And then when the little one turned two, it was like night and day difference in seizure wow. management. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. It's to have insurance approve it because it is expensive to buy CBD oil. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So I have, oh my God, we have talked on so many different things. I love y'all. This is fantastic. Okay. So what, talk to me about feeding therapy. What are some of the common feeding issues for our children? That have you know what? Could I, them? could I actually um, interject with something? Yes, one of, absolutely. You know, one of the, the most common 
affect, like the most common symptom of FOXG1 is lack of speech. So the majority I of- I have no kids, idea of that. Yes, lack of speech. So actually only 60% of our children, as we know right now from our patient registry, suffer from seizures. Um, but almost all of them have a lack of communication and speech. So what's- that, That's our world. So yeah. That's your world. And you know, what's really interesting is for me, it took me for, like nobody guided me and it took me forever to get Amara's ABA diagnosis. And mm -hmm. that has changed the game for her because number one, we have 20 hours of therapy that our insurance is paying for. And mm -hmm. many people think that ABA therapy is just, you know, kids with high functioning autism and- but it's not, it could be really tailored. And so Amara is low functioning. She doesn't have behavioral problems, but she can't speak. And so her entire ABA therapy is designed around helping her with communication. And without that ABA therapy, like her speech therapy is you know once a week and through COVID we haven't even had that. But mm -hmm. our ABA therapy has continued and it's really, I, I think that has been the strongest point of her progress, but it was so hard for me to get it and I think that's something, you know, for people listening on this call, that if you have children who have a total lack of speech, they are, they can qualify for ABA therapy and it can be tailored to their needs. So fun fact in South Carolina, we pay the lowest payout rate for ABA therapy in the nation. What does that mean? So it's not available. It's not available because the um, the reimbursement rate for ABA therapy, I think, is forty five or forty eight dollars an hour. But by time they um, they pay for the training for you have like the ABA, the certified therapist, or we don't even offer a license for it in the state of South Carolina because South Carolina. Um, so they have like there's different tiers and you have to have your BCBA. Then mm -hmm. you have like your lead therapist and your line therapist, the line therapist. Um, when I've talked to some of my friends that are BCBAs, um, because I have a delightful friend who's getting her PhD in um, autism research here in town at USC. And her wife is actually a speech pathologist, which is very unusual because typically there's a lot of tension between BCBAs and speech pathologists because it's like who controls the language, mm -hmm. but they have the, I mean, like not to pay on words for marriage here, but like they do have the perfect marrying of understanding that, you know, ABA understands the behavioral component to it. And the speech pathologist, when like we bring in like our subject matter specialist of like language acquisition, when it's done right, Beautiful. Beautiful. Can yeah. Happen for these Beautiful. Kids. This should not be a, I was here first. This is my approach. It, it really truthfully, and we've actually had episodes talking about like the overlap of BCBAs and SLPs, but like it really should be done together. But because the reimbursement rate for it is so low in South Carolina, the wait list in our state alone is like in the 20,000s. Oh my God. You know what? The wait list here is really bad too. I mean, Amara was on a two-year wait list. I mean, yes. I can't, like, yes. what, what other industry has so much demand and no supply? It's just like bewildering. Yes. And, and, and Reem, and for us, it's been a, um, the larger insurance companies, because right. what? the larger insurance companies don't want to pay for it. Dun, mm -hmm. dun, dun. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then they lobby 
to keep it out. Okay, we went political. Back to the month of smiles. I apologize, folks. Michelle has an opinion on a lot of things, but we're going to focus on on the month of smiles that are coming for the month of November and circumvent all other conversation on that. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so um, no, we need to do like an off-the-record conversation. Just kidding. Right. Um, okay, so then talk to me. So we have the speech deficits, but what does the feeding component look like? Because I've heard you say that Josie has a feeding tube. Does Amari have a feeding tube? What is our continuum here? She doesn't. She has. She does aspirate, so we need to thicken her liquids. But okay. she is able to eat with her hands. Um, so, you know, that is the spectrum. We have children who can eat and then children on a feeding tube. And so we definitely do see that spectrum. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. So not beautiful, but you know what I mean. So that's yeah. what we need to be prepped for. But learning um, to swallow is a big deal, even for Amara. And we haven't been able to get really good therapy around that is helping her learn to swallow correctly, um, which is, you know, leads to the aspiration. And that, and folks listening, that ties into the ataxic motor movements as well as the low tone component, because there are there are precursors to be a, being able to um, control the musculature involved in this. So if you have a little one that you're working with and you have tried um, natural progression of thickening, um, going from like a puree and trying to taper, like a tapered weaning protocol is the technical term for it, and you can't get down to a thin liquid or you're trying to progress from a pureed food to I'll go in national dysphagia diet terms because most of us haven't switched over to ITSY, but you're trying to go from like puree to like mechanically chopped and advancing the foods that it makes it very, very, if you're not seeing a progression or you're seeing a regression or it's compounded by seizures, these are other indicators that, Hey, something else is going on in the absence of change. We need a second opinion y'all. So just it, don't make it, don't take that on yourself as I am failing as a therapist, something else could be going on and we need to seek to understand what that component is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. mm, Soapbox. Mm. (laughs) Um, Tried and tried and tried with Josie and, um, you know, we did make some progress and, um, you know, like you said, the absence of change, there was, as her seizures were progressing, you know, her ability to eat just became too difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, I have a motto and I wrote it into the book. It's called fed is fed is fed is fed because mm-hmm. whether that be, um, uh, completely total perinatal perinatal um, nutrition like TPN, or if that is in G tube orally, um, OG tube, G tube, GJ, J mm-hmm. growing and being able to hear the laughter. That's, mm-hmm. that's the purpose. If our babies are not getting nourished, then they will never be able to share their joy or be ready to do the next step, right? Yes. And so fed is fed is fed is fed is fed. So we have to celebrate that. And it's hard for parents to, um, you know, pull the trigger and say, okay, we're doing the G-tube. I hear it from so many parents that we try to avoid it as long as we can. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, my my poor little girl is suffering when I try to feed her. It would take me an hour to get a half an avocado into her. And so, you know, I, 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 I sort of surrendered to it and Mm -hmm. she's being fed and she's thriving. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Okay, so um, is there a prevalence of um, uh, food allergies within the Fox G1 community? Because our little friend that we know mutually has eosinophilic esophagitis, which, I mean, I, I've seen that on the rise, that diagnosis of EOE. Is that, is that common within Fox G1? Allergies are not something I hear much of. What about you, Nasha? No, I haven't. No, but that's interesting. Um, is something to to keep an eye out to track, right? And maybe yeah. add to the registry. Yeah, I would. I would. I would be curious about the prevalence of EOE, milk protein allergies, and celiac disease. Mm -hmm. um, one of um, my future sister-in-law and my kid brother better not cock this up, but my future sister-in-law is a lobbyist for the National Down Syndrome Society. And she was sharing with me that the um, uh, patients that have Down syndrome, 25% are genetic carriers for celiac disease. Interesting. Wow. That's very interesting. Yes. I mean, that, yes. oh, wow, the gut-brain connection is pretty strong. Yes. So that's very interesting. Yes. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. I would, I would, um, we have the, the primary allergens, dairy, um, wheat, soy. I mean, those would be ones that I would, I mean, if you guys have a data bank, please add that to the data bank because that would also help those of us that are working with, um, registered dietitians and looking at like what formulas, whether it be, um, like, do we need to break something down to an amino acid level? Can we do blenderized tube feeds? Do we need to avoid, um, because whey, whey is like the hidden dairy that people don't really talk about. And so that's a component that I would, I would okay. add over. That's a great, great input there. Thank you. Unsolicited nerd girl advice. Love that. <laughs> so then I have, um, with our two minutes left, because we got sidetracked on all the other wonderful things, um, what about um, what therapies? For those of us that are in the trenches doing therapy, say we're the first person in because we get called in for feeding, hmm. what therapies are, and, and, and ABA, but what other therapies do y'all recommend or does research tell us that we need in order to support little ones with Fox G1? All of them. So. <laughs> And all day long, um, you know, so for Josie, we really focus on the PT and the OT the most, you know, my, my goal, I hope is for her to be able to sit up and put her arm out if she falls over. Um, her speech therapy is um, very critical and it's not ABA, it's um, SLP and um, we have an SLP, but it's, it's critical and so important and it's just consistency um, and you know, as, as much as we can possibly do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that PTOT and some type of speech and vision. Yeah, and really vision. awesome. <laughs> really, yeah. Vision therapy because of CVI. Um, real mm -hmm. quick, with her vision therapist, I gave her the book on CVI and said, This isn't low vision, this is CVI, and there's different. Um, training for it. And so she read the book and Josie improved on the CVI scale dramatically by following the CVI therapy rather than low vision therapy. Um, yeah. So there is a difference. And um, it has really, I, I think, you know, really changed um, the way she can see. Yes. My, um, my brother-in-law has a um, microcephaly cortical vision impairment. Um, uh, cerebral palsy and um, autism spectrum disorder. So um, we, I, 
I understand the, what that looks like at 40 through 43 sassy with transformers. So, um, yes. Yeah. Mm. And there's, um, uh, Christine, um, Lancy, Roman Lancy in, uh, Pittsburgh who wrote the book on CVI. And if anyone has an opportunity to go see her, if their child has CVI um, or they do, um, she is incredible. I want, do you know her? I want what? to interview her. Could you, could you introduce me? Oh, you have to. She's incredible. I drove to Pittsburgh from New York and brought Josie to see her. And um, it was just this world of understanding of what it actually is and how to treat it. Yeah. Yep. I will connect you. Oh my God, bless you. Thank you. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, all right. We we've gone over. I and and we were worried would we talk for an hour. <laughs> um. Okay. So, folks, again, the um, October 29th, So nine days from today, go to register at foxg1research.org. They have their update going on. Um. When you log in, there's a um donate now button. But um, tell us one one last thought before we we switch out to questions because we do have to go to questions. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want folks to know? The hardest thing for us in this journey and the most important thing for us in this journey is asking for donations. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to ask for money, but we cannot fund the science without it. And um, right now for this stem cell project that Nasha was speaking of, we have to raise a million dollars for it. And so fundraising, the science is there. The science is in place. It's amazing what could be done. There are, you know, people are being cured. People with blindness can see again. We are living in this revolution of science. We just have to raise the money to fund these brilliant scientists. So mm -hmm. if anyone has any extra or um, would like to support or knows anybody who is looking for somewhere to park their philanthropic dollars, you know, it, it will go somewhere that will actually really make a difference. So Yes. Um, and also the scientific advisory board is like a who's who of brilliant <laughs> minds because I'm like on the page now and just wow. Yeah. Well, Thank y'all so much for joining us and for um, and and being so candid and honest about your walks. That's that takes bravery. So thank you. Hold on one second. I'm going to switch this over to questions. Okay. Feeding matters guides system wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please 
Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Bye.